0: 2 Chronicles chapter 33. We come to an interesting passage of Scripture here. And uh, Manasseh, the most wicked king who would rule for 55 years, Manasseh uh, went into captivity. The Assyrians had taken him captive. And uh, we pick up here where Manasseh comes into repentance. And this is the place that people need to be. People need to be repentant. People need to Recognize when there is sin in their lives to ask the Lord to forgive them and move forward. Manasseh was a man that uh, so mightily. Uh, did he destroy the very foundations of God in the land, that in fact it would be after Manasseh was a downhill slide until Judah would eventually go into captivity, just as we had spoken about there in Jeremiah. Now the Lord had, you know, when you go into captivity, and and there God said to uh, Judah and there in Babylon... There in Jeremiah chapter 28, verse 20 and chapter 29, he says, Make yourselves wives and children and plant yourselves, settle yourselves here in this place. Settle yourselves where God has planted you. Yes, I've moved you out of your homeland, I've moved you to a new place, but I want you to settle yourself down and find peace there and pray for the city. Here in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verse 11, speaking about Manasseh, wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains. ...of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns, and bound him with fetters, and carried him to Babylon. and When he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, and prayed unto him, and he was entreated of him, and heard his supplication, and brought him again to Jerusalem, into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord he was God." Apparently, he was displeased. Uh, he displeased the king of Assyria in some way. Manasseh did. I mean, Manasseh was a, an idolater of idolaters, and God allowed the officers to come to Judah and, and to capture this king, King Manasseh. Here's a mighty king of Judah being taken away in a very shameful way. Now, there was no respectable act of taking somebody uh, into custody. God allowed him. He ha- they had to put a hook in his nose, and they bound him with chains. Verse 1, look with me here. Um, verse eleven, excuse me, and uh, brought him to the caps of the hosts of, of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. Here he's going with, uh, you know, these these hook and chains and all these sorts of things. and And in this passage, we find that Manasseh is a man that uh, man God humbled him. You know what oftentimes happens in our lives when great affliction comes, God humbles us, it brings us shame until we get to the place we're willing to repent. He was treated like a steer led to the slaughter, and he deserved it. The city of Babylon was a second capital of Assyria at that time, and there they imprisoned him. The very question, you know, it was a great humiliation for a wicked king. And and, uh, when there's pride in a life, God will get a hold of that person. God will bring shame. God will bring uh, affliction and torment and things to bring a person to their knees until they finally cry out, or it is their very life. And uh, even more, the Lord would move the Assyrians to set Manasseh free and allow him to return to Jerusalem to rule over his people. What a trophy of the grace of God. You think about this, an individual who would literally, in the temple of God, he was doing idolatrous sacrifices. He sacrificed his own kids to these gods on the altars of fire. I mean, Manasseh was a wicked, evil Awful king. And if there's ever a king that you would say he doesn't deserve God's grace, it would be Manasseh. Now, if you're thinking from a human mindset, I say that. Now, obviously, every one of us all don't deserve God's grace, but I'm so thankful we do have God's grace. And you know what? Here is a great story that sometimes people say, I've sinned so greatly, God can never use me. That's a a tremendous lie. That's not true. Here is Manasseh, a wicked, evil, awful king. I mean, just horrific king. And God humbles him. He humbles his pride. He shows him his idols are nothing. He brings them to a place of complete shame to break Manasseh. You see, the the thing is, is God doesn't really use a Christian until they're broken. They've gotten to the place where they realize they can't do it in God's power. They can't do it without God. Everything that they need to do in life has to be in the power and the majesty and the might and the leading and the guidance and the wisdom of God. Verse 19, we find another thing here. 2 uh, Chronicles 33 19. Notice with me what Manasseh does. His prayer also, and how God was entreated of him, and all his sins <coughs> and his trespass, and the places wherein he built high places, and set up groves and graven images before he was humbled. Behold, they are written among the sayings of the seers. Manasseh was humbled. And there's a very, God does things in people's hearts and lives to break them. Break them until you finally have nowhere else to look because every avenue you've tried has the door is shut. You see, true repentance is a work of God in the heart and a willing response of the heart to the Lord God, I'm sorry and I need you. You see, my friend, until we get to that place, if we're going our own direction, our own pride, our own, our own hard-heartedness, people, are, and God's trying to get a hold of us, and we won't listen, God's going to break you. And it's going to be a painful experience, I promise you. I've uh, been there, done that, I don't like it, uh, but I'm thankful that God broke me in certain areas, and, and you know, this, not certain areas, but God just continued to break me. A breaking process is where God is molding us into his image because we have pride in our lives and we won't listen. And so God says, okay, if you're not going to listen, I'm going to make the way very difficult for you. Now in verse 14 of 2 Chronicles 33, Manasseh's reformation, look with me here. <clears throat> now after this, Manasseh, he built a wall without the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the valley, even to the entering in at the fish gate, encompassed about Ophel and raised uh, it up a very great height and put captains of war in all the fenced cities of Judah. And he took away the strange gods, and the idol out of the house of the Lord, and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem and cast them out of the city. See, his, this is genuine and true repentance. Because not only did he say, God, I'm sorry, most oftentimes people are like, God, please help me. Well, because a lot of pains on their life. They're going through a terrible time. There's a lot of pain, but they're not willing to get rid of the idols. They're not willing. well, all they want to do is they want the pain to go away, but they don't want to change the course of their actions. If they're not willing, in their repentance of, God, I realize this is sin, and they're not willing to turn from it and remove those idols, it's not genuine repentance. Because all they're seeking to do is remove, God, remove the pain. That's all they want. Remove the pain, remove the torment, remove the affliction that I'm going through. Well, that's not repentance. That is saying, God, I want the check engine light to turn off, but I don't want to fix the problem. Repentance, if someone wants to get right with God, they're willing to say, I am sorry. They're willing to do whatever is necessary to fix the problem. In Manasseh's case, he had to get rid of the idols out of the land. Not only this, verse 16, and he repaired the altar of the Lord and sacrificed thereon peace offerings and thank offerings and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. He repaired the altar. He's repairing the worship of God. Someone who wants to get right with God, they're going to want to get rid of the idols, get rid of those things that took them out of fellowship with God. They're going to want to get back into the fellowship with God's people. They're going to want to be back in church. They're going to want to be there if they only want the Pain to go away. Pray for me. Pray for me in my situation. Well, I can happily pray for you, but my prayer won't do anything. Uh, Prayer doesn't do anything if your heart is not willing to do what God tells you to do. You must submit. You must obey. And God has called us to submit here, submit to him, submit to the authorities that God has placed in a person's life. Verse 17, nevertheless, the people did sacrifice still in the high places yet unto the Lord their God only. Now, the rest of the acts of Manasseh and his prayer unto his God, and the words of the seers that spake to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel. He fortifies. Man, he builds the walls. He begins to, to put a separation between them and, and unholiness. He begins to, the, to put walls, as, we, as our theme this year is fortify our foundations. If our foundations are not strong, if our walls are not built up, if separation is not the, the truth of our life where I'm trying to separate from evil and, and serve God, man, you are, you are just waiting to be attacked by the devil. He purged the temple. He got rid of the idols. You know, and the fact is, Christian, we are God. temple, every one of us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it talks about this. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Get rid of those idols of the heart. Get rid of those things, that pride. Get rid of everything that is going to be against God. Submit myself fully to Him and let Him do the reformation in my life. Now, he set the example. When a leader falls, he must repent. Because when a leader falls of any type, whether it's a pastor, whether it's in the politics, at home, in the government, at work, wherever it may be, if someone falls and fails in an area, they lead others down a bad path. And God's calling here is he he sets the example, I am so sorry, God. Let's get out of these idols out of our hearts. Get these idols out of this place. This is God's house. We're going to do it God's way. John the Baptist would say, bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. And John the Baptist told the Pharisees and Sadducees, and that's exna- exactly what Manasseh did. Bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. There are fruits, there are actions of life that are commensurate, or that are in, uh, if you repent, then there are things that should be following. If it's genuine biblical repentance, there should be a desire to to make things right where it needs to be made right to get rid of idols and look at, what was it that caused me into this position? What was it that brought me into the state where he was taken captive? I mean, all the torment, all the affliction that he had gone through, what was it that brought him to that place of absolute, literal horror? Well, he, he realized it. He realized it was his idolatry, his own pride. And God got his attention in a big way. And you know what, my friend? God, if, we continue, if we were to resist God, man, God just turns up the heat and turns up the heat and turns up the heat and turns up the heat, and you're like, whoo it's getting hot in here. I mean, you're just like, man, this is, this is a fiery trial. I don't know what to do with this. God's going to turn up that heat until he breaks us. We say, God, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. I'd like you to look with me at 2 Chronicles 28 27, he wasn't buried in the sepulcher of the kings. 2 Chronicles 28, 27. You know what, I'm thankful that God does use those afflictions and trials in our lives to bring about that brokenness because it restores me to fellowship with him. Many times we don't realize how out of fellowship we are until we've gone through this very terrible time, and then God says, I'm I'm done. I'm going to get my son back. I'm going to get my child back. I'm going to get my daughter back. I'm going to get whatever the case is, I'm going to get the one I love back to myself. In Second Chronicles 28:27, And Ahaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city, even in Jerusalem. But they brought him not into the sepulchers of the kings of Israel, and Hezekiah's son reigned in his stead. And, you know, Manasseh was buried in his own house, but like Ahaz, he wasn't buried with the kings. What a terrible thing. Still a dishonor. You see, when we live for our own selves and we live in our idolatry, you will face some shame. You will face some dissatisfaction. Second Chronicles chapter 33 verse 21, coming on to the next king as we're talk, finishing up this book here, not necessarily today, but in the short while. Second Chronicles chapter 33 verse 21, we come to the next man. Verse 21 Ammon was two and twenty years old when he began to reign, and reigned two years in Jerusalem. But he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as did Manasseh his father, for Ammon sacrificed unto all the carved images which Manasseh his father had made and served them, and humbled not himself before the Lord, as Manasseh his father had humbled himself. But Ammon trespassed more and more, and his servants conspired against him and slew him in his own house. But the people of the land slew all them that conspired against King Ammon. And the people of the land made Josiah his son king in his head. There's something telling here. This son would not humble himself before the Lord. You see, judgment had already been pronounced against Judah. And you know what God is looking for? God is saying, judgment's coming, but I will spare it for the next generation. Well, what if the next generation repents? Could he not spare it again? Because God is looking for people who are willing to say, God, I'm wrong, I'm going to do it your way. He had been so influenced, obviously as Manasseh had ruled for 55 years, it was only at the end of Manasseh's reign did he finally come to the realization of the authority of God. He refused to do this. He sinned greater. And we understand that the wages of sin is death. Well, that's exactly what happened. His own servants assassinated him. The law of Moses should have been written out by this king. Every king of Israel and Judah was to write out the law. Because it was very important that the word of God was followed. You know, the law of Moses declared that idolaters should be slain. And there was nobody in the land to deal with an idolatrous king, and so his own servants would conspire against him and kill him. You know, potentially, these, they weren't necessarily killing him because of the law of Moses. They are probably killing him for political power. Maybe Ammon was pro-Assyria, and they said, I'm not for assyria and so they killed him. Whatever the case. But... Ammon's son, Josiah, was definitely pro-Babylon and even lost his life on the battlefield trying to stop the Egyptian army. But Ammon lived and served for two years, from 22 to 24. Boom, at 24 he's dead. Not much is said about him. But we come to another king here, a king, Josiah, who would be humbled by God's word i like us to, first of all, look at Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 11. The book of Jeremiah chapter 22. We're going to read Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 11 through 17. Out of the 20 rulers of Judah, including wicked King, uh, queen Athaliah, only eight of these rulers would be noted as good. Asa, Jehoshaphat, Joash, Amaziah, Uzziah, Jotham, Hezekiah, and Josiah, the last good king of Judah. Josiah was a great king, for even the prophet Jeremiah would use him as an example for other rulers to follow. Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 11 through 17, would you follow along with me? For thus saith the Lord, touching Shalom, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, which reigned instead of Josiah his father, which went forth out of this place, he shall not return thither any more, but he shall die in the place whither they have led him captive, and shall see his land no more. Woe unto him that buildeth his house by unrighteousness, and his chambers by wrong, that useth uh, his neighbors service without wages and giveth them not for his work. Thus, that saith, I will build me a wide house and large chambers and cutteth them out windows and it is sealed with cedar and painted with vermilion. Shalt thou reign because thou closest thyself in cedar? Did not thy father eat and drink and do judgment and justice and then it was well with him? He judged the cause of the poor and needy, then it was well with him. Was not this uh, to know me, saith the Lord. But thine eyes and thine heart are not but for thy covetousness, and for to shed innocent blood, and for oppression, and for violence to do it. You know, he had plead the cause of the poor and needy, said Jeremiah of Josiah, while the king that followed Josiah exploited the people so they could build their elaborate palaces. Josiah would rule for 31 years, from the year 640 to 609. Uh, B.C., before Christ. And he walked in the ways of the Lord because David was his model. And uh, let's go back to 2 Chronicles, chapter 34. We'll read verses 1 through 7. 2 Chronicles 34. He was 31 when he began to reign. 2 Chronicles 34, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places, and the groves, and the carved images, and the molten images. And they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence, And the images that were on high above him he cut down and the groves and the carved images and the molten images he break in pieces and made dust of them and strode it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. And he burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so did he in the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon and even unto Naphtali with their mattocks around about. And when he had broken down the altars and the groves and had beaten the graven images into powder and cut down all the idols, Idols throughout all the land of Israel. He returned to Jerusalem. I mean, this is amazing. You talk about taking names. I mean, he burns the bones of the priests upon the altars. He breaks them down. Uh, You know, these priests of Baal, they're killed. They're burned. He takes all of these idols. He burns them into ashes. I mean, he's saying, I don't want any idol left in this land. I mean, he gets it. He cleanses the land. You see, that's what God's called us to do. What a tragedy that all the leaders of Judah didn't maintain the law of the Lord and keep the nation honoring Jehovah. He had cleaned up after Asa. Manasseh had cleansed up the consequences of his own evil practices. And now 22, you know, this Josiah was uh, you know, eight years old when he began to reign. He reigned in Jerusalem one in 30 years. So eight years old. I mentioned incorrectly earlier, sorry. And so the idea here is everything rises and falls with leadership, and young King Josiah provided aggressive spiritual leadership. We will not have Baal worshipers in the land. Can you imagine the amount of people that would have been against him? Come on, Josiah. We, should, we ought to be able to do this. He said, no, I I'm tired of it. We're not going to have this in the land. We're not going to have idolatry here. This is God's land. And we only stay here because of God's promises and obedience to God. You realize this, you only stay in the promises and the blessings and the peace of God as you are obedient. When you disobey, you remove God, You remove you can be removed from that very land that God brought you. Because of disobedience. Get rid of idols. Get rid of the pride. Pride is an idol. You've been seeking the Lord for four years, and now He is prepared to cleanse the land, and He purged the land. So whoever it was at eight years of age was giving him instruction, man, they did something amazing. They, they, as an eight-year-old young boy, they're giving him instruction, follow God's word. This eight-year-old young man is now king. Now, he doesn't necessarily have all the wherewithal to make such edicts to cleanse the land, but whoever is giving him instruction, they're giving him right instruction to cleanse that land. Get rid of these idols. These idols have brought... The judgment and the harshness of God upon this land. Get them out of here. We don't want any part of them. I don't even want any sight of them. It's not stow them away in storage. It's not put them aside. It's destroy them. Someone may have a a collection of a whole bunch of old CDs and other things that are completely ungodly. Get rid of them. It's not just, oh, I'm going to store them away and someday I'll sell them. No, they're no good. They're idolatrous. Get rid of them. Burn them. Throw them away. Smash them. The king of Judah would go to these tribes in Israel, Samaria, and he exercised such great authority. And we find that even during Hezekiah, many of the people from Samaria in the northern kingdom would come for the Passover feast. And we learn that the king personally went on these trips, 2 Chronicles 34, 7, as it says, and when he had broken down the altars and groves and had beaten the grove images into powder, and cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel. He returned to Jerusalem. He goes into into Israel and says, listen, get rid of these idols. And he's going all over the land that's not even in in his domain. He's in Judah, but he says, listen, this is God's promised land, and idols don't belong here so often it is not only in the land, but also in our homes and in churches. There's these idols that are there, and we are not willing to submit to God. We're not willing to bow down and let God be king. And what happens here is Josiah is so earnest for the Lord. He said, I'm going to do what God's called me to do. I don't care who's against me. We're going to do it God's way. And here we find a repairing of the temple. In verses 8 through 13, you know what? If we don't repair... What has been broken by idolatry and the pride of man, we will never have a true worship of God. We've got to get, we've got to make a preeminence upon the worship of God, that God's house is a pure place, that God's house is a place where He is exalted. It is not man exalted, but it is God that exalted. In verse 8 of 2 Chronicles 34, now in the 18th year of His reign, when He had purged the land and the house, He sent Shaphan. The son of Azaliah and Messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Jehoaz, the recorder to repair the house of the Lord his God. Man, Josiah, his heart is for the Lord. His 18th year as a king was an incredible year. In verse 9, when they came to Hilkiah the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought in the house of God, which the Levites had... Uh, Levites that kept the doors had gathered of the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim, and of all the remnant of Israel, and of all Judah and Benjamin, and they returned to Jerusalem, and they put it in the hand of the workmen that had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they gave it to the workmen that wrought in the house of the Lord to repair and amend the house. Even to the artificers and builders gave they it to, build hew- to buy hewn stone and timber for couplings and to floor the houses which the kings of Judah had destroyed. And the men did the work how did they do the work faithfully? And the overseers of them were Jehath and Obadiah, the Levites, of the sons of Merari, and uh, Zechariah and Meshullam of the sons of the Kohathites, to set it forward, and other of the Levites, all that could skill of instruments of music. Also, there were, they were over the bearers of burdens and were overseers of all that wrought the work in any manner of service, and of the Levites, they were, there were scribes and officers and porters. When they brought out the money that was brought into the house, the Lord Hilkiah, the priest, found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Man, this, this must have been an exciting time. They're coming in. They're building God's house. They're saying, enough This house has lain uh, desolate for so long. This house has been small. This house has not had true worship. We're going in there. We're going to rebuild the land. We're going to take the money that's been uh, stored up, and we're going to rebuild God's land. Man, this must have been exciting. I mean, they're repairing God's temple. The people's hearts are getting back to God. Josiah is fervent. I mean, he wants a great celebration of the Passover. He was 26 at the time. Man, God is doing something great, expediting the king's plan. The people, they faithfully are laboring day in and day out to get that place, to get the temple back in shape, that God can be magnified, that God's presence is back in that house, that God is exalted, that the nations may know that there is still a God in Israel. Man, this is an exciting time for the king. His son Gemariah joined with others in urging King Jehoiakim not to burn Jeremiah's scrolls. In Jeremiah 36, uh, verse 11, and, and uh, but uh, we find here, you know... Uh, They intercede with King Jehoiakim to not kill the prophet. We find a time later on when the book of the scroll was written. This King Jehoiakim, the last king, man, he takes the scrolls of Jeremiah and he burns them up. But here, as we find in this passage of scripture, they take it and they're excited and they end up finding the book of the law of the Lord. They're like, what is this book? You know, that's a sad statement. Sad statement. So oftentimes that a believer can have a Bible on their on their kitchen table or on their coffee table or on their nightstand, and it's collecting dust, never to be read. If a Bible's never read, that's a you know I've heard it said. I think it was. I'm very bad at repeating these things, but uh, show me a Bible. Uh, you know, uh, how does it go? A Bible falling apart is like a Christian staying together. Because, man, that Bible's being used. And God's doing a work as you're investing your life into that book. But in this whole passage of Scripture, you know, they wanted to reform the land. They realized, realization, whoever is giving Josiah, I mean, he's eight, he's young, and giving him these instructions but Josiah ultimately has to make the determination, I'm going to follow God. A young man. The man who expedited the king's plan, the temple, was Shaphan, the father of a remarkable family. His son, Gemariah, would join with others in urging King Jehoiakim to not burn the scrolls, Jeremiah's scrolls. His son, Elissa, carried Jeremiah's letter to the Jewish exiles in Babylon. Ahikam also interceded with Jehoiakim not to kill the prophet uh, Jeremiah. And after the fall of Judah and Jerusalem, Shaphan's grandson, Gadaliah, was named governor of Judah. Understand this, that a grandparent and a parent has a tremendous influence upon their children. Shaphan's faith would influence Josiah so greatly, and man, God used him. Because he got along. He got behind the king, and he supported the king, but they went forward saying, we're going to put God first. The only one of his four sons that really was a disappointment was Jazaniah, who worshipped idols in the temple of the Lord, Ezekiel 8, 11 and 12. But man, Shaphan gets behind the king, but he gives him encouragement and strength. Let's do it God's way. Let's rebuild God's land. And he follows the authority that God put in his life, but but yet he's giving that king encouragement and instruction as he's a young man here. And people have been, at the same time, the people have been contributing money for the upkeep of the temple. So the king ordered Shaphan to tell Hilkiah the priest to distribute the funds. Let's build God's house. You see, Christian. God's house ought to be a place of tremendous preeminence in our lives. God's house. Leadership is stewardship. Executing that which God has given us in this building. What we've entrusted in this building is God's house. We're responsible to use what God's given to us to be wise stewards. Leaders must see to it that the work is done with integrity and God's money is used wisely. Not squandered. But use wisely. And then something happens here. Appreciate it, brother. In verse 14 of 2 Chronicles 34. 2 Chronicles 34, 14. When they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. And Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord, and Hilkiah delivered the book to Shaphan. And Shaphan carried the book to the king and brought the king word back again, saying, All that was committed to thy servants, they do it. Shaphan says, Listen, we've executed what you've called us to do. We've executed in the work. They're obedient. They're submissive to the Lord. They're submissive to their king. They're following, and they have gathered together the money that was found in the house of the Lord, and delivered it to the hand of the overseers and to the hand of the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath given me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass, when the king had heard the words of the law, that he rent his clothes, and the king commanded Hilkiah and Hikam the son of Shaphan, and Abdon the son of Micah, and Shaphan the scribe, and Asaiah the, son, the servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for them that are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do after all that is written in this book. What it? And Just think about this. They said we've been disobedient to this book. You see, Christian, it's not whether I'm Doing What someone says it's whether I'm following this book. This is our authority if we say we're a Christian We follow this book. This is what we follow. This is how we conduct ourselves. This is how we conduct our lives This is our authority. We ought to be fully submitted under the Word of God And Hilkiah and they that the king had appointed went to hold of the prophetess the wife of Shalom the son of Tikvath Uh, the son of Hazra, keeper of the wardroom. Now she dwelt in Jerusalem in the college, and they spake to to her to that effect. And she answered them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Tell ye the man that sent you to me. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place, and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the curses that are written in the book, which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me, and have burned incense unto other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. And therefore my wrath shall be poured out upon this place and shall not be quenched. And as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, so shall you say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which thou hast heard, because thine heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God, when thou heardest his words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me, and didst rend thy clothes and weep before me. I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord, Behold, I will gather thee to thy fathers, And thou shalt be gathered to thy grave in peace, neither shall thine eyes see all the evil that I will bring upon this place and upon the inhabitants of the same. So they brought the king word again. (sighs) What would it be like to lose a Bible in church? What would it be like if you came to church and the Bible wasn't read? Shaphan, as we start off here, gives the king a report. Hey, we followed your orders. We followed what you've given us to do. It's to Josiah's credit that he desired to hear what the book said. When he heard it read, he was smitten with the fear of God. I'm saying, Christian, when we read the Word of God, and God's Word begins to deal with things in our lives, and we're not willing to follow it, we will be in opposition of God. But in Josiah's case, he heard the Word of God, and he responded in repentance. Tenderness, as it says. Indeed, Shaphan read from the book of Deuteronomy, and if he did, and then what Josiah heard read was from chapters 4 to 13 of Deuteronomy. It would convict him about the wicked things that the nation had already done. Chapters 14 through 18 would be speaking about the people had not done. I mean, it's, here's the things that you have done that are wrong. Here's the things you haven't done that are wrong. He says, listen, you need to repent. The Lord made it clear that the nation would be punished severely if they didn't follow the law. I want to say, Christian, when the Word of God is given to us, does it bother us if we are sinning and transgressing and committing errors against God's Word? Is it something that would break our hearts? And Josiah realizes the condition of the land. 26 years old, seeking the Lord for only 10 years. But his response to the Word of God was that of a mature believer. He's broken. Hilkiah didn't consult Jeremiah about this matter or even the prophet Zephaniah, one of Josiah's kinsmen, who was ministering at the same time. Perhaps Jeremiah wasn't even in the city. But at his family home in Anatoth, there's Jeremiah, that's where he's from, and Zephaniah may have also been out of Jerusalem. He found a capable servant holder of the prophetess whose husband, Shalom, was in charge of the royal wardrobe. He goes to this woman and he asks for her for her. You know, her say what does the scripture say, and she reads what they say, and God does a great work. There were prophetesses in Scripture: Miriam, Moses' sister, Deborah, Noadiah, the wife of Isaiah the prophet, Anna, and the four daughters of Philip the evangelist. But with all of and, and Scripture does give us, uh, I just want to make it clear that nowhere in the Bible does God ever sanction or allow a woman to be a pastor. It is ungodly. It is against the Word of God. But in this case, she is giving some instruction. Uh, There was not, I mean, they were so, they had no knowledge of the Scripture. And by the pastors, 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and God makes it clear, women cannot be pastors. If they are a pastor, then they're out of God's will. But in this case, they come to her because, I mean, listen, the Word of God has been so distant for so long, there is a woman there, and her husband, and... and, uh, and they're godly people, and, and they give some instruction at this place, and God used them for that period of time. And they said, We want to know what God says. Just think about this. The Word of God has been so absent for so long that people don't even know how to react, how to live out the godly life. And we'll talk about this next time if Holda's message was in two parts, but. Uh, we're going to find her disposition as she deals with this as well. But nevertheless, they ask for help because they said, I, "I want to." Is this really what we're reading? Is this really what it's saying? How often have I, you know? Sometimes there's an older lady. She writes our family from time to time. She's in her, I believe, in her nineties, and great encouragement. She said, "I pray." This lady says she prays three hours a day and and tremendous encouragement and help and a blessing. And uh, there's been others in our lives that my grandmother probably, I think, would have the greatest, had the greatest influence on my life of anyone I know. And uh, God has given places, you know, for men and women to serve, and he's given the, the bounds for it. But in this case, God uses this godly woman In a way, because the land has been desolate of God's Word for so long. You know, my friend, maybe that's true in lives, that the Word of God is desolate from your life because you're not in the Word of God daily. It's not weekly or monthly, but it's daily. You must be a person of the book, searching the Scriptures, finding the encouragement, the manna from heaven daily and follow the Lord. As we come to the time of prayer this morning, I trust it's encouraged and challenge your heart as you think about Josiah's brokenness, to tear his clothes and realize we're in trouble. We've disobeyed the Lord and now it's time to move forward in holiness and obedience. Let's pray. Dear heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. Thank you for being our gracious savior. Father, I pray that you would help us to be found worthy. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us as you convict us from your word that God is, the Word of God is spoken and preached and read and studied, and that, Lord, we would be obedient, we'd be submissive, we'd be yielding to Thee. Father, I thank You for being our gracious Savior. I love You. And, Lord, I pray this day for the power of God upon these services, upon this place. God, we can't do it without You. Thank You for Your help to preach Your Word this morning. God, it's Your Word. I need your help. I love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.